0: The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education.
1: We don't need no thought control. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Hey,
0: teacher, leave
1: kids Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join our conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president Abraham Lincoln succinctly states, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And how true that is! It sure is. Good to see you again, Abigail. Good to be here. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the state of public education in America. And you know, we touch on this subject quite a bit on this show. Um, but tonight we're going to go a little bit more of a philosophical direction here. So um, again, hopefully touching on some thoughts that a lot of our listeners have probably had. Um, What can parents do to stand up for their kids and their family's values? And to be very frank, touching on the idea of is public education redeemable at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure that there have been many people out there that are thinking through, what can I do? This just feels so overwhelming. Um, there's this is we're kind of up against a big machine here, mm-hmm. um, and if we want to see change, or if you're not happy with your school, um, it feels like you're a very small voice in the middle of an ocean. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that mean um, mm-hmm. for our children's education mm-hmm. and the state of public education yeah. here in Minnesota, and obviously across the United right. States as well?
1: And I think we've seen a lot more discussion about this since COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to COVID. Uh, There was, you know, concerns, I think, about public education in terms of how well it was serving, especially inner city populations, Mm -hmm. which that has only grown worse through COVID. Um, And I think there was a concern that schools were becoming more and more political and politicized and focusing on social issues rather than academics. But COVID was really the turning point and the whole George Floyd Um, event that obviously was like the shot heard around the world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that brought very rapid change into schools across the nation, probably across the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but especially here in the United States and here, right here at home in Minnesota, schools began really shifting their curriculum away from. Per se, learning, right? I mean, learning is important, but, um, really trying to focus in on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And we've really focused on that a lot in our show. Um, Abigail, you and I have covered this quite a bit, and Mark and I covered it before that. Mm -hmm. Um, and with, with that change, we saw parents getting an eye into their classroom through the COVID, you know, Zoom sessions, but then seeing this rapid change in the content of what their children were learning as young as even kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And there was the concern, right? So then you start hearing parents up in arms and they're fighting all over the nation and they're running for school board. And, and I think the question that we're really asking is, is, a, how did, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Um, how did we get here? Because many of us were educated in public schools. Yes. And as we always like to say, and we turned out just fine. <laughs> That's the saying that I hear all we the time. T- well, we tell ourselves that. We, <laughs> yeah, we tell, tell ourselves, ourselves that a exactly. whole lot. I am one of the rare individuals that will actually admit that my education was not very good in, in the K-12. Mm-hmm. And um, But part of the reason why I can say that is because I had siblings that were a lot older than me. And so through conversations with my parents about their education, I knew even in the in the moment in high school, I knew I was not getting the education that my siblings had gotten 10 mm-hmm. years earlier. Um, but that being said, I'm one of the rare people that's willing to admit that. Yes. Um, but, you know, overall, it was probably better than what we're seeing today. And, you know, I think people are asking what happened? What went wrong? How did we end up here? And I think an important detail for people to understand is that the public schools were established, you know, for good reasons, right? In the sense that we want a a well-educated populace, but those who really promoted the public school um, vision, John Dewey especially, they really saw education as being kind of owned by the educators, and Mm -hmm. so that you're kind of handing your kids over to the school and saying, okay, I'm handing this responsibility over to you. And therefore, the schools became primary Mm -hmm. in the education of children, which in the early years and even for the first couple, probably centuries, I guess I don't remember what year public schools were started, but um, it it was okay because there was such common language, there was common values. This was a Judeo-Christian nation Mm -hmm. um, overall. And so the values that were being taught at school aligned usually with the values being taught at home. But then in the 1960s, things began to change, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we're seeing from 1960 to now a complete shift in the values in our country, Mm -hmm. but especially in our schools. Mm-hmm. And we're now seeing this collision between some families, not all. That's yeah. the interesting thing. There's a lot of families who are very in favor of this mm-hmm. type of education. But some families are just really feeling frustrated, like, gosh, but this isn't what I'm trying to teach my kids at home. Yes. And, and so they're the ones that are really at a loss. Like, what is it? What do we do? And is it really redeemable?
0: Yep. And I mean, I think this is something that I end up, talking with a variety of different parents about as all our, the time. Uh, yes, you are. Yeah. Why don't you just tell our audience? Well, as the your admissions role. director at Liberty Glasgow Academy, um, one of my roles is really to sit down with families and get to know them and hear their stories about why are they considering a change? I mean, especially once children are established in a school, this is a large... Uh, it's a big shift to mm-hmm. leave your friends, to mm-hmm. leave, um, you know, in theory, the family has made relationships within the community that they do enjoy. Maybe they've had some some excellent teachers even mm-hmm. that they, you know, are sad to um, leave behind. And so that's part of my role is to to listen to their stories. And time and time again, what I hear is um, it has gone so far beyond. It's not just a, a minor thing that we're, we do have a difference on, and we're an intractable family where we all need to think the same way. It's we fear for our child's physical safety. Mm-hmm. Um, we we fear for. Um, there's a constant barrage of values that, you know, in you know maybe they're what I would call a typical, um, the average American back in two thousand eight. You know where. That wasn't that long ago, but the values in this culture have shifted so far so that even if they're not necessarily on one extreme or the other, even a political or ideological continuum, if they're maybe in that middle place, Mm -hmm. but they're going, hey, we just kind of want the way it was, you know, where the general trend, sticking their finger in the air and waving it around, we just kind of want the way that it was back in about 2008 where, hey, of course, we're different and that's okay, but everyone is respected and um so these aren't families that are looking for you know an ideological education that only fits one particular mm-hmm. criteria but the schools have gone so far beyond now what they're comfortable mm-hmm. with um and so it's it's really sad mm-hmm. because they did they have spent a lot of years building into their community into their child's and and mm-hmm. you know thinking that this was you know, this was their roots. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that most people here in Minnesota can relate to people stay put in Minnesota mm-hmm. um, more so than other states. I didn't grow up here, so um, that wasn't necessarily my experience. But in Minnesota, people, um, you know, they have a lot of history, is what I mean. So, you know, if they went to a particular school, I mean, in some situations, maybe they'll leave for college, but then they come back and you know, maybe their child will be going to that school. Mm -hmm. um, And that means something, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course it does. You have this beautiful history of what I had when I was growing up. Um, But like you said, with COVID, um, I think that for so long, parents have thought, well, that's that's this other wacky part of the country that's doing all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. It's not here. And I think that COVID, seeing it, through a computer screen in their kitchen, Mm -hmm. they had to face the reality that, oh, it really is here. Mm -hmm. And so now I need to decide, and I think that's something I know that you and I talk about and encourage families to do is, please let go of this nostalgia of longing for what you had because it's changed. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you you have have to face the facts. Yes, just Mm -hmm. face those facts. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, you can do with that what you will, but it's better to operate under the facts as they are, which is this these... Institutions have changed their ideology and gone so far outside of what, again, most people really want their children taught um, that they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out now what do we do?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and even as young as kindergarten, um, you know, you being the admissions director, me running the school, we just actually had an open house this morning, and I had a family share with me that their child is in uh, a middle school, and this is in a you know suburb of the twin cities and this child is subjected to physical fighting on a regular basis to the point where their daughter is intimidated by all the fighting happening in the school mm-hmm. that's one story then hearing stories of children being given stories about pronouns in kindergarten yep and these are in districts that you know people might think as you as you said earlier oh, this is just in California, or this is just maybe in New York City or in Chicago. No, these are in actually small districts mm-hmm. around the Twin Cities and large ones. Yep. And, you know, we've talked earlier about, um, I don't know if it was Egan Apple Valley, that was going to allow children to transition without telling their parents. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing news reports of that around the country now as well. And in Minnesota, there's even talk of parents uh, losing parental rights if they don't approve their children uh, transitioning. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing these extremist ideas that were once extreme now being mainstreamed. Mm -hmm. And they're being mainstreamed in even – classrooms such as kindergarten and even as young as preschool. And this is in many districts across the state and the nation. And so I think, you know, coming back to that question we asked at the beginning, is public school redeemable? I think we have to look at what's happened in the last two years, right? It was two Mm -hmm. years ago that COVID became the big thing. And, you know, we started going online and then in 21, 22, a lot of schools were still going back and forth between being online and being in person. And that's really when the parent movement started awakening. Mm-hmm. And when you look at how far we've come, you know, we just had election in November mm-hmm. here, in obviously in Minnesota, everywhere. But in Minnesota, there were quite a few school board elections that did go in the direction of some conservatives getting on to those school boards. Yep. And when I say conservatives, I mean people who want to have their children learning academic subjects yes. and not being continuously exposed to diversity, equity, and inclusion of all forms, sexual, yes. racial, whatever. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of a turn happens with these people in places of, um, some authority being in a, in a, um, In a school board setting, I think a lot of it is depending on how many people got elected, if they have a majority or if they're still in the minority, Mm -hmm. and how much courage they have to speak up. Because here's the thing, Abigail, is that another thing we've been talking about frequently on the show for the last couple of years has been the rewriting of the social studies standards here in Minnesota. Um, adding of the, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion strand um, mm-hmm. to the rest of the strands. And then most recently, the new teacher licensure rules mm-hmm. that have removed content knowledge from being the foundation of being an excellent teacher and replaced it with diversity, equity, and inclusion mindsets permeating the teacher standards. Yes. So- I think what people, honest people have to ask themselves is, can I really effect change Mm -hmm. as a concerned parent or as a school board member when the teacher licensure rules are now aligned against the things that I maybe am trying to push for Mm -hmm. and the social studies standards, which are foundational to all of the social studies and history curriculum, um, have now been... Turned in a direction that, you know, how do you turn that around? Right. Even exactly. you might have good intentions, but mm-hmm. when it's coming from the top, it's, it's coming from the top, to it's coming change. from the
0: sides, it's coming out of everywhere at this point. And, yeah. and I do think that that, that is an interesting. There's just a tension there um, that I think through even myself about, gosh, what I mean, again, as we stated at the beginning of the show, the best thing. For our country and for the state and for our local communities would be to get back academics into the classroom. And, you know, we you know, we have our own personal views about values and different things, but I would happily, you know, concede to it would be a huge improvement if public schools could just teach reading, writing, math and history, Mm -hmm. real history Mm -hmm. um, that would that would serve our community so so much better than it is currently serving Mm -hmm. those, the kids that are in those schools. um, Mm, Absolutely. I mean, that would be, you would think that that would, that, that's the way it should be. And that's a, <laughs> and there was a time
1: when everybody agreed with that. Yes. Yeah. And that has changed. Well, you're listening to Education America on AM 1280 The Patriot. And today we're discussing the state of public education in America and really whether or not public education is redeemable. And, you know, we all, I, both Abigail and I uh, agree heavily that um, the idea of a completely well-educated electorate is so important for maintaining the freedoms that come through our, our U.S. Constitution and most of the Western world. And yet, if if the public schools are not delivering on an education that does allow for that, mm-hmm. then are we doing kids a disservice and and then you know what do we do about that and what do you
0: do with this huge behemoth of a system that we pay so much money I think into it's one as a state? sixth
1: of the states oh it's more than that is it more than that 112 oh, yeah, it's, it it's a is a lot yeah it's huge it's yeah. a
0: huge amount of and um you know if the schools were doing their jobs in many ways you know i think most of us would say well that's money well spent yeah. um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we want to serve these kids. We want them to learn and to be critical thinkers. Even if that means they disagree with us, that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. But to be educated in in how to do that with logic and persuasion and to really look at facts and data and, um, you know, that's a wonderful gift. So I, I do think that there is this tension of on one hand, you want to, you know, not all of us are going to. Uh, we've we've watched some things, and we always bring up Florida, and I think it's because, to be very frank, Florida is very newsworthy right now. Mm-hmm. They are they are leading the charge on a number of different fronts. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that we've brought up that, and some listeners may be aware that Governor DeSantis has um, done some interesting things with um, one of the colleges in Florida. He's appointed some very um, academic leaders who have been very outspoken against DEI and about instituting back to, you know, back to actual academics. And they've been very bold. So Christopher Rufo is one of those gentlemen, and, and he's really turning things, uh, you know, he's definitely upturning the apple cart mm-hmm. out down in Florida. And so it's interesting to look at that, but not all of us are going to have that kind of Power or ability, and yeah. so it's easy to f- you know you just think. So what do I do? Mm-hmm. And and I love the localism that is coming up nationally. Um, mm-hmm. You're seeing all these groups of, in particular, parents, yes, who are running for school board, who are using their voices to say, wait a minute, you know, this is
1: not okay. This is not mm-hmm. okay.
0: This is not what I want. Mm-hmm. However, and so on one hand, I want to applaud that right. because that takes time, it takes mm-hmm. dedication, it takes a willingness, frankly, to take some. Some criticism, mm-hmm. sometimes um, maybe harsh criticism from sometimes the other side. being
1: arrested in the case of yes. some
0: people across the nation. Sadly. So I mean, it takes a, yeah. a real courage, and I don't want to take away from that at all. But you also have to look at, you know, unless you have a governor or a legislature that's also willing to to join with the parents that are concerned realistically what is going to change right. if the machine just lumbers on. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I do think that that's what we have to decide as a country. I, and again, I don't want to do anything except encourage um, people to get involved in their local school boards. But I would, I would say as a personal perspective, never at the expense of your own kids. Right. So yes. yes, go to your school board meeting, run for school board, get educated on these issues, team up with people that um, that have some of the same concerns as you and, and you know, participate in this process. But to be very frank, I would still say, but also at the same time, I'd pull your child protect out. Your mm-hmm. You need to protect mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. in the meantime and, and hope and pray that long-term, your efforts locally will bear fruit in 10 or 15 years. Right. But I think that there's a little bit of Naivete on the part of again people that just are tending to be maybe more conservative, but again, just people that want academics Academics. back in the Mm -hmm. classroom is this didn't happen overnight. Right. This This has been this has has been going on for a long time. Yes. And so it is a you have to have a long term perspective Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. real change. One, it's worth fighting for, but two, understanding it's probably not going to happen a year from now. It's probably, you know, it might not happen three years from now, but you have to keep participating in a respectful way. Um, I love, I think it's Moms for Liberty is mm-hmm. a, a group that I think sprang out of COVID and it's, you know, cell groups, chapters yes. around the country. Quite a few, And I believe people. their um, slogan is happy warriors. And mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> I just love that. And of yeah. course, all the moms listening know like, yes. What mm-hmm. what an amazing way to describe moms who are mm-hmm. protecting their kids. Um, so I love that. But to have a long-term perspective and realize that, but, that in the meantime, your primary purpose as a parent is to protect your children, preserve their childhood. Mm-hmm. I think we have really lost sight of, in our country, Childhood matters. Mm-hmm. Childhood innocence. Yes. We used to, those words used to be, you know,
1: coinciding together. You didn't think of a child without thinking of innocence. Yes. And today, with the pushing of especially the DEI as young as preschool and kindergarten, kids are being exposed mm-hmm. to ideas
0: um, that, that take away their innocence from very young ages. And they're, they're adult topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and children don't have the ability to process this. And, I mean, we can even use COVID as an example in how schools responded. We sacrificed children's education on the altar of protecting adults. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I, I used to say shameful. during that
1: whole thing, I have never, ever in my lifetime seen our country put the concerns of adults over the concerns of kids. Yep. Never until then. And, you know, you can say, well, that was the influence of the teachers unions and it was largely, Mm -hmm. Um, but there were a lot of parents who supported that. Yep. And, just didn't think about the ramifications and the words you would always. And we again we covered this on a show as well. The words you would always hear is, "Oh, kids are resilient. Kids are resilient." Mm-hmm. Where that has come from, I'm not sure because they actually aren't resilient mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of things, and their learning is one of them. Yeah, and their social development and their emotional development. And how much and of we're that we're seeing?
0: You know, just to be delays. honest, parents, parenting is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The goal is never perfection, but intentionality. And yet, when we say kids are resilient, are, you know, ask ourselves: Do what, is what we really mean? I want to do it my way, and hopefully, it won't affect them too much. Yeah, because I in really hope for the best. because I really don't want to swim upstream mm-hmm. to do what I really think is best for my child and put their needs mm-hmm. first, and to recognize this time. This time they will never get back. Certain neurons are firing and developing and things are developing in their neurological system and their psychological system. Um, We know that if trauma occurs for kids at certain ages, in many respects, it almost cannot be undone in Mm -hmm. adulthood. Now, there's always mitigation and there's always support, but those things are so deeply ingrained. This this time is important. Yes. And again, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean perfection mm-hmm. in anything, in education, mm-hmm. in parenting, but really thinking about and understanding, shifting from that, well, they'll be fine, mm-hmm. to this is the only childhood they ever get to have. Yeah. What do we as parents, what are our goals? Because our goal is to have excellent adults someday, people that, as parents, we want to be around that share our values who are hardworking, who are, you know, respectful of others, who are open-minded to, you know, being corrected and changing course and all of those things. So how do we work backwards and be intentional thinking, I want my child to be self-sufficient. I don't want them to, I want them to be grateful. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, we've had a lot of conversations about being mm-hmm. grateful mm-hmm. in our house lately Um Being intentional about, you know, it's easy to think someone else always has it better. And I'm quoting myself here because we did have that conversation on the way to school the other morning.
1: (laughs) Well, and if kids are being told constantly that they're either victims or they're oppressors, um, then it is very difficult to develop a sense of healthy identity Mm -hmm. on either side. And having a healthy identity is part of being a healthy First of all, a healthy youth and then a healthy adult. And um, kids are losing that sense of healthy identity. School used to um, kind of embrace and support the identity that children were getting at home. Mm-hmm. And now there is often conflict, as I said. And when we see that there is so much more mental health issues in the schools um, in youth we know that it's coming from a lot of different places, but one of it is that if they don't have a sense of who they really are in a healthy manner, well, that, that forms the foundation of everything. It's going to affect their learning. It's going to affect their friendships. It's going to affect their relationships with their adults in their lives, Mm -hmm. um, everyone. And, and so again, kind of going back to that question and we really only have a few seconds left, are the public schools redeemable? And I think, I think the bottom line question is what, what do you think is going to change in the three, five, 10 years that your children are in school? If you're mm-hmm. concerned now, then I think you have to really ask yourself, is this something that's going to change even if we have a new school board, even if I get involved at the political level? Um, and, and then I think you have to decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my child first and then mm-hmm. I'm going to get involved. Absolutely. So I think, you know, there's a lot more we could probably say, but oh my we are out of time. <laughs> as always, <laughs> it goes so quickly. Uh, well, we are glad to have had you joining us here on Education America tonight. Mm-hmm. And we'd like you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then also go to SaveTheClassroom.com.
0: Or you can now listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's right. Have a good night, everyone. Yep. Thank you so much. See you next week.